Hello and welcome to the Charmed Life Podcast. This podcast is all about magic, metaphysics, mysticism, and the unconditional love of the universe. And I am your host. My name is Trisha Carr. Well, this episode, I'm going to move into a topic that I have been asked actually to do a class on, but I'm going to do it here on the podcast first because, well, I just want to, I want to put it out there and then we'll see if it, if it merits a deeper dive into it, which I would do in my Mystic Arts Academy. So uh, Mystic Arts Academy is my platform where I have two monthly workshops and um, meditations live group meditations, as well as downloads of produced meditations. So check out the link in the description. And at the end of this episode, a little further in, I'm actually going to talk to you about what's coming up in the Mystic Arts Academy. This podcast episode is about narcissists and empaths. Now, let me just state right up at the top here that as I use the term narcissist especially, I am not intending to speak out of scope. And what I mean by out of scope is that I am not a psychotherapist. I am not medically trained to diagnose narcissistic personality disorder or anything that is in the DSM-5. Wait, the six is coming out pretty soon. Let's just say the diagnostic statistical manual. And so I am speaking of this more from a colloquial or um, more of a casual way. And I am actually, I'm not speaking about the disorder, which is entirely different. I'm talking about shades of narcissism. And by the way, spoiler alert, the term empath, really when the empathic nature is malfunctioning, we are talking about codependency. But when I use the word codependency, I am also not talking about the, you know, clinical version of that. I'm just talking casually, y'all, but I do have some qualifications in human behavior uh, because I'm a hypnotherapist. And so family dynamics and relationship dynamics are a part of my training. So let's get into it. I'm actually going to approach this toward giving the empath tools and keys to be empowered and to stop a cycle, a cycle of being in relationships with people who have a tendency toward narcissism. Because empaths usually, and I mean, unless you're some kind of saint and you figured out how to use that empathic nature long ago and you were never totally conditioned toward something that was negative, unlikely. <laughs> but empaths have a tendency toward codependency. And I'm going to talk about codependency in the behavioral sense, and also codependency in the energetic sense. So that's where we're going, y'all. I also want to dispel any extreme opinions about narcissism and empathic people, the empathic sensitivity, because narcissism actually can be a healthy expression in a human personality, and the empathic function can be negative and it also can be utilized in a way that kind of flips around on itself and becomes a kind of narcissism. All right, well, let me just break down some of this stuff. First of all, we need to start thinking stop thinking of the word narcissist as pejorative or simply just bad, an insult. Thinking of the most of the meanest, rudest, most arrogant person and that's a narcissist. 
we need to see that this word has a lot of uses and that there actually is, in its purest form, a healthy expression of narcissism because narcissism really is the gra having gratification from outside stimulus. So others actually showing you something or accepting you, you know, something that is outside of yourself giving you gratification. And that's not a bad thing in its simpler form. And, you know, the, the codependent or the empath, let's uh, actually, let's just, I guess we'll just say empath right now because the healthier function of being an empath is that, you know, you are capable of sensing other people's emotions and thoughts even. That's what an empath is. And actually, as opposed to being highly sensitive or intuitive, the empathic function, the function of being an empath is that you experience it in your energy as though it is native. And so the empath must learn how to not be reaching out and accepting and identifying to negative feelings and thoughts. And then but there, the you know, reason that an empath does that, it's an unconscious effort to then heal it or transmute it, which energy can transmute energy, but not from a state of separation. I'm going to break that all down for you. But anyway, let's get back to narcissism. And seeing it just as a function. Now, again, we are not going up to and into the realm of narcissistic personality disorder. That is a medical diagnosis. I'm talking about shades of this function of being gratified from without. You know, kids, children are narcissistic. They are. And they, they come by it innocently. They come by it honestly. And so that is a great example of how narcissism isn't all bad, that the function actually has uh, some kind of um, high functioning, something that is positive. And I'm, I'm actually going to tell you that there are spiritual qualities to narcissism. There's spiritual qualities to the empath as well. So I'm going to compare and contrast this for you. So spiritual quality of narcissism is the positive quality. It keeps one reaching out for others. If narcissism is about being gratified from without, let's say because of someone else thinking that you are good or great or whatever, well, then the narcissistic frequency is seeking others, is seeking a connection with others. And the narcissistic frequency in a positive sense the spiritual sense of it, is that it is actually allowing others to be your mirror. A narcissist is allowing another person to be their mirror. And so that simply is a, a good thing because we have a, a bonding here in this. And so that is one half of a bond in a positive sense. A the negative side of the narcissistic frequency, some, well, there's many, of course, but when it, it becomes negative or toxic is when it's akin to when a child is throwing a fit. They're so in their experience, their negative experience, that they are incapable in that state of acknowledging or having any compassion for the experience outside of themselves. And, and in fact, are demanding that somehow they are saved from without by what they are experiencing within. They become unconscious about reality. 
and feel this kind of helplessness about their own state. That's what that's when narcissism goes bad. And that is then when the narcissist will project onto others who would be their mirrors, project onto them the need for others to save them from their own feelings, which is quite frankly impossible. Even if it happened superficially for a moment, only the individual can change their own state. And we do have absolute free will. That means you can change your own inner state at any time. So that is when narcissism has gone bad. It's gone malfunction-wise. But there are functional ways for narcissism to move as a spiritual frequency. Now let's talk about empaths to compare and contrast. I said that an empath is someone who experiences emotions, feelings, thoughts as though they are their own natively, not just like, oh, I can tell that that person is angry. No, it's like they're proximate, whether locationally or um, energetically proximate to a person or a situation, and now they have absorbed it. And this is not its higher function in, in this sense. We're not meant to identify to negative frequencies. That's not how energy transmutes energy. Energy transmutes energy because the stronger frequency will then cause the weaker one to relent. So the empathic nature functioning well will become aware and have an energy, a thought, emotion, cross their field of awareness, understand it deeply, completely, and yet they choose to hold a higher frequency anyway, what I called holding the light. And then it can be transmuted. Whereas the malfunction of the empath is they duplicate and amplify that negative thought or emotion, that negative, if you will, energy. Duplicating or amplifying it is just adding more crap <laughs> to the field. So that's the toxicity, uh, the malfunction of the empathic nature. The spiritual positive reason for the empathic nature is because energy can transmute energy. And so just being aware of outside energies that may be requiring or desiring healing or transmutation, the empath can choose to have management mastery of their inner state and hold that higher perspective. And as the energy crosses their field, it has the opportunity to be transmuted. Now, I want to tell you that kids basically are empaths. Children are completely open. They're intuitive. They aren't really defined or conditioned by the world yet. And so they have more of a unity consciousness or unity function about their energy or the ecosystem kind of a function to their energy. So look at that. Kids are both narcissists and empaths. That's kind of natural. It's a natural way to be. So some of the other positive purposes of the empathic frequency is that it creates awareness for others. You may say compassion. And also it creates a mirror for others. Whereas the positive spiritual frequency of narcissism is allowing others to be our mirror, the empathic nature creates mirrors for others. So that amplification of the energies can, if it's in a positive sense, it doesn't have to be, it can be amplified without being identified. Oh, that sounds good. 
The empath can amplify without identifying. And they amplify by being a clearer mirror, by holding that light, and thereby, really, even if it's the contrast if the, of them holding the light and believing in the other that may be the source of the negative frequency, the negative emotion, thought, energy, behavior, whatever it is, the empath can, can just generate more light in the complete awareness of that negative frequency with basically the belief and the hope of the transmutation and the something good that is coming of this, which is one of my mantras, something good is coming of this, especially when I need to summon my higher functioning empathic qualities. Now, some of the negative, uh, some of the things that when the, when the uh, empathic nature has begun to malfunction, the negative qualities, the toxicity, is that an empath who is really malfunctioning, a really disempowered empath, will actually begin to project. Because the it, identifying with negative frequencies, amplifying them, then it begins to loop. And then they will project this out because they can't contain all of it. It's a kind of endless loop of amplification, amplifying, amplifying. It, they are also just when you're doing that, if, if an empath is identifying to a negative frequency and amplifying it, it's just creating more illness in the unity, in the ecosystem. And so it isn't helping or healing anyone. You're becoming unconscious about the outside reality because you've amplified and looped it so many times around that it's actually out of proportion to what is even the reality. And when the empathic nature is in a negative functioning, it is emphasizing a helplessness about their own state. So we come full circle because that's what we said about the narcissist too. When the narcissism has become negative, ultimately the narcissist is projecting and is feeling helpless and incapable of managing their own inner state. So we come to the same place just by different ways around the barrel. We're going to wind up on the same spot. <laughs> so, you know, energy can transmute energy, but that doesn't happen when there is a deficit made to the instrument who is the original, you know, who is the transmutation device. That would be the empath. So the empath can't be taken out or taken down in the process. That is not the higher function of the empathic nature. Now, both narcissists and empaths need to learn, and not just learn, but embody that we have free will, that you can manage your inner state despite the outer reality. Now, we're going to take a pause there because I know the world is sometimes so painful. And so we are talking now not only from the 3D perspective, when we're speaking in the terms of philosophy and spirituality, we are welcoming in all of the perspectives. We are using the metaphysical experience. So we're not just talking about what's happening in the physical reality where life is painful and there are things like systemic racism and and just terrible politics and poverty and all of the things, we are talking about the higher perspective, the eternal perspective. And that honestly, even what if it's possible, and I've experienced this because I've experienced abuse and poverty. I haven't experienced systemic racism, but I have experienced systemic misogyny 
But I just want to say that what if in the most painful of moments out that is occurring because of the context outside, what if you can hold somewhat of a more peaceful state? What if it can be a little bit more peaceful, even if not the you know transcendental peace? But I feel like that can help us in some of our difficult or dark times. So just qualifying that statement to help us to make sure we are looking from the awakened and the metaphysical um, perspective is that we all need to learn, both narcissists and empaths alike, need to learn that we have free will and we can manage our inner state despite the outside reality. I hope by now that you are becoming a little less sensitized to the term narcissist because it's one of these things where if it is so stigmatized that one who may have narcissistic tendencies, they couldn't even like search it out in themselves because it means that you're such an evil, awful person. And you may not be totally arrogant even to have narcissistic tendencies. The Lightshine Spiritual Academy is excited to announce that the Energy Intensive is open for registration. The Energy Intensive is a six-week comprehensive program that teaches and activates energy healing modalities. This program is unique and cutting edge. It's designed to blast open your unique healing abilities. You will be immersed in a multitude of energy techniques. The Energy Intensive is perfect for anyone who is interested in healing and energy, and especially for intuitive people, for metaphysical seekers, and for spiritual practitioners. To learn more about the Energy Intensive by Crystal Ann Compton and Trisha Carr, click the link in the description of this episode. In fact, there are different kinds of narcissists, and one of them, called the covert narcissist, is wrought with the a strong response to shame and outside criticism. And so if, if the covert narcissist is, is very sensitized to shame, outside criticism, feeling embarrassed, feeling outside judgment, then they may actually seem like they are lacking arrogance, like they have poor self-esteem. So narcissism isn't just about bragging and thinking that you're hot or something. It, it has many different faces, just like the empathic function or the codependent function. Well, malfunction, codependency <laughs> cycle also has. So here's the thing. Here are some of the, here are some more of the qualities of each. In societal conditioning, flawed versions of each are prized. So society in the conditioning that we received the flawed versions of either the empath or the narcissist are sort of prized in one way. Like, for example, narcissists are put on pedestals. There are, you know, people who have huge followings either as, you know, in social media or as entertainers or as politicians who are completely narcissistic in all of the ways. Maybe some of them even have the disorder. And they are, they're, they're, Get, they are actually gratified. Their society rewards them, and there are people who posture to be like them. And the, some of these people get the advancement at work because they're bragging about themselves, and they're putting others down, and they're doing all the all the tools, all the things that narcissists do. And they seem to have some success and some 
gra- gratification, some even celebritizing in this really unconscious social conditioning. And also, likewise, the negative or flawed version of the empath is also prized and put on a pedestal as the martyr, as the victim. Martyrs and victims are still deified in this society. Ooh, doesn't the news love a victim? And how about the victim who really had no responsibility in a situation? Once again, that may be true in a literal sense, in the physical sense, in just the view of the 3D physical that the victim was, of course, not to blame. That's definitely not what, what we would ever say. But the victim had no capacity, no empowerment at all. But you made countless, countless billions and trillions of choices that led you there. It's just simply not the way that I want to live. And I was born, literally born a victim into a family uh, that victimized me, into a, a situation, into an impoverished situation that victimized me, to abuse. And so I'm a spiritual teacher now, so I don't want to believe that I am wholly, holistically ever a victim in a precise little way. Yeah, maybe I am, but I want to believe that I can grow and that there are millions of other trillions of other little choices that will help me to become a different version. I go on a different timeline where I'm actually helping others who could help, who could use the help. At any rate, these are some of the ways that we have the overlap, quite frankly, between narcissists and empaths. All right, let's talk about some more of those metaphysical, those spiritual concepts that are to related to the narcissist and the empath. Narcissism is basically the electric frequency. Empath, the empathic nature, is basically the magnetic frequency. However, when narcissism has become toxic, it is the electric frequency becoming toxic, like people saying toxic mas- masculinity. Well, there's such a thing as toxic, toxic femininity as well, because that doesn't have to necessarily to do with men and women or biology. It has to do with the active or the passive frequency, which are the building blocks of all energy, of all creation. So narcissism, when it is the electric frequency becoming toxic, then it can become domineering, demanding, and abusive. And when the empathic frequency, the magnetic frequency has become toxic, it is that malfunctioning when they are codependent. And that codependency can either be energetic codependency or behavioral codependency, and they could be enabling the abuser. So let me just break that down a little bit there. The codependent thing that can come along with being a malfunctioning empath. You maybe you aren't being codependent behaviorally, you know, literally enabling someone's abusive or or, um, toxic or addictive behavior. However, there's such a thing as energetic codependency too, which was something that my guides taught me a while ago in... um, and now, by the way, I want—I just want to say there's some good news here as an empath. I'm a reflector in human design as well, that not only can your empathic nature highly function, but you can choose partners who are not narcissists. My husband is compl- almost entirely free of narcissism, like almost to, you know, a, to a flaw. <laughs> so this story I'm going to tell you mentions my husband, but this is not him being the narcissist in 
this binary relationship. Well, there was this one day when my husband was having, you know, a bad time, a bad day. And we walked into the same room together and it was like, you know, I could just feel it on him. And and he was even like seething. The energy was seething. And I said, "Uh, do you want to talk about it? And he said very emphatically, nope. And I didn't take any of trust. I didn't take any offense to that because, you know, we all sometimes need to just deal with something on our own. And I respected it entirely, or at least I thought I did. And I said, okay, no, yeah, if you need me, you know. And I walked away. And ha- But my guides, my spirit guides, kind of tapped me on the shoulder, metaphorically, spiritually, and said, uh, 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 you said okay, but you didn't really mean it. Because you walked away, but you left some of these like energy cords, these little tentacles in his energy going like, well, okay, I'll say okay, but I'm going to keep some of those empathic cords into you so I can just pull some of that energy out and I can keep an eye on it, a, you know, a, a, a spiritual eye on it. And I'm going to identify to it to make sure that, you know, we can keep things all copacetic here. And they said, that's not, that's not right. They said, that is being codependent. It's a subtle codependency. It's an energetic codependency, but it's codependent nonetheless. And I was like, oh, boost, you got me. And so I pulled in those tentacles and trusted that my husband, if and when he would like my counsel, was going to come to me. And he needed his energetic privacy. Even my partner deserves energetic privacy. Even though we're going to sleep two feet apart, we have a king bed and I get hot at night. So, you know, we're not, we don't cuddle while we sleep. And, you know, he deserves it. I deserve it. And, and I need not to be sticking my energetic tentacles into his energy when he has asked me not to, by the way. So that is energetic codependence. And that is a malfunction of the empathic nature. All right, let's talk about a few more things. And I'm going to give you some tips. Finally, some tips to the empath to stop the cycle of narcissistic relationships. Now, I said my husband is really very free of narcissism. So good news there in case you are without a partner (laughs) or want a partner that is not narcissistic. However, I do attract narcissists sometimes in other parts of my life. And so I have been observing in myself really from the perspective of codependency and finding out really experimenting with ways to stop the codependency before the relationship starts or to reverse it even if I'm in some relationship which by the way you can have codependence with things that aren't people with concepts recently my guide showed me that I had a codependent relationship from my side with money and then it was time for me to release some codependent thoughts and feelings with my relationship with money because I have these, this relief, this belief that was bubbling up to the surface that in order to make a certain amount of com- money that makes me comfortable, I have to change my identity. So I kind of like keep the brakes on money coming in to, you know, a degree that makes me feel really abundant because I'm worried I'll change, I'll have to change my identity. And that has to do with, well, starting from my childhood. And that was what was shown to me in my family's impoverished, struggling state that you know, you, you're going to have to do something really hard, painful, and even demeaning because it's hard to make money and to survive. 
So you're probably going to have to be demeaned and change your identity in order to make enough money to survive. Ooh, that was modeled for me. And then I went and did it for a while and I had occupations that, you know, were not really right for me. I mean, from being very, very wrong to me to being not really right for me. And interesting, as as they got a little less wrong for me, the money got a little better, but I still kept a, a cap on how much of that money that I could make because to me, my identity gets lost if I make an abundance of money. So that's a kind of codependent perspective just from my side. It's not money's fault. <laughs> it's me. So losing your identity in a relationship is a sign of codependency. And it's a sign of, well, the empathic nature gone wrong too. So let's talk about some common misconceptions about either empath or narcissist. One is that either the narcissist or the empath is a total character and that it's always turned on, that like narcissists are completely and always narcissists and then an empath is completely and always an empath, when in fact these are just functions that can be, you know, functioning well, functioning poorly, malfunctioning, and it can be modulated. Narcissism can be modulated to positivity, negativity, or complete remission from the negative expression of it and the empathic nature also. And so that's to say that the that narcissism, the malfunction, the negative toxic kind, it can be in remission or completely functioning positively and likewise the empath. Now, another misconception is that sometimes people who think that they're empaths are actually narcissists. Now, this happens because of one of the kinds of narcissism called covert narcissism, which I mentioned earlier. A covert narcissist can be highly sensitized to outside criticism or shame and therefore have strong reactions to certain situations and then will observe themselves or think themselves to be very sensitive and think that sensitivity is empathy. I'm just mentioning that because it's it's something that I've seen with some people I said, let's let, let's not think so pejoratively of the term narcissist because it has a positive function and also... You know, we want to be able to observe in ourselves if we are having some kind of toxic narcissism narcissism happening. But there are also people who reject the label of empath because they have people who are like, I'm an empath. And they, they're basically a covert narcissist and they're manipulative and you know they're really difficult to be around. So someone may be like not able to transmute their empathy, their empathic function from negative to positive because they reject it entirely because they have a negative version of someone who identifies as an empath. You got me? (laughs) I know that was kind of a lot of way around there. Essentially that some people identify as empaths because they're highly emotionally reactive to certain situations, but that's not the same thing. Another, another, well, it's not a misconception. It's just uh, not well known is that there are different kinds of narcissists and there are different kinds of empaths. I already mentioned the covert narcissist. There's also the communal narcissist, and that's someone who derives gratification by being really good at things in the community. So it could be with their family, it could be with charities, but they're actually doing it from an, uh, an outside, you know, the narcissistic. Um, what was a motivation like from a narcissistic motivation motivation rather than actually doing good deeds 
And if you want to learn more about those different kinds of narcissists and more from this perspective of not all narcissism is bad, I highly recommend the book by Dr. Craig Malkin called Rethinking Narcissism. And he talks about these different kinds of narcissism. And then with the different kinds of empaths, there are people who are more of an emotional empath. So they're really picking up the emotions of others. Some people are mental empaths where they may be, they would be picking up probably the emotions and the thoughts. And then some other people categorize them like geo empaths or global empaths, animal empaths, and, you know, all of this kind of stuff or physical empaths. And, you know, I, I don't know how useful that is to everyone because I also have the perspective of seeing it from the hypnotherapeutic standpoint of, and, and as well as, you know, the um, energy system and, you know, what, like with human design, you know, you have some undefined centers. So those might be more vulnerable to the empathic function than, you know, the ones that are defined. Anyway, just want to throw that out there. Now, finally, I want to leave you with two things. First, I want to give you some tips for the empath to stop a cycle of, be, of the relationship with a narcissist, which doesn't mean you have to stop the relationship because you could be in a relationship with someone who, when, when things are kind of not going well, uh, you know, that they get into a toxic narcissistic, narcissistic function. And you as the empath may also become codependent sometimes. So, you know, we can we may be able to turn things around, but we could also stop the cycle before it begins. After I give you these tips, I'm actually going to end by reading you the story of Narcissus, the actual source of this word, Narcissus, and narcissism from the story of the myth of Narcissus. All right, here we go. How the empath can stop the cycle. Well, with narcissists, there are three stages of of the relationship with a narcissist. These that there are. This is something that is identified by psychotherapists. But I just uh, the first. It's called well. The three stages are idealize, devalue, and discard. The first stage, idealizing, is common, commonly called love bombing, and that's when the narcissist. Let's say if it's a romantic relationship, it's like this whirlwind romance, and they are just like showering the their partner with affection, attention, compliments, uh, amazing sex, and you know, just whisking them away, and like just you know, just like overwhelming their partner with this bomb of love. Now that usually you wouldn't. Th that's hard for some people to detect that this could be a narcissist because they are. They're actually projecting love onto the person. So it seems like they're selfless, but it's the first stage. So when I have noticed this a few times throughout my life, the way we want to be aware of someone love bombing is that if someone is kind of complimenting you and they don't even know you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or they learn a little something about you and they're just like, you know, overly excited and like you know somehow like emphasizing how amazing you are and may, even if they know one little thing and they're kind of like over speaking it and 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 pumping it up so much and now as an empath you you may not you may think like well yeah but you know i'm not like really that vulnerable to all of that gratification but you feel good because they feel good and so you kind of get lost in all of the feeling good so 
when you feel, when you notice someone is overly complimentary or bombing you with love before it's appropriate, because this could be romantic, it could be any other kind of situation. And they may also throw in there how amazing they are, but only because they're with you, only when they're with you. Just, you know, be gracious a little bit, but also don't, don't accept it too deeply. Just kind of be more a little bit like, thank you, that's really great. Uh, but don't let it suck you in so much. Try not to let that empathic nature match that function. Keep your wits about you. <laughs> that's what I have to say about it. So that's the first stage. Uh, you know, the other, the other parts of the stage when you're already in the relationship. But that's the one thing I'm going to, one tip I'm going to give you right up front there. Second of all, notice when you're losing your identity in a relationship. And again, it could be with a person or it can be with a situation. It could be with an entity like your work or something. It, and so that can, this is not only, this is something that maybe after the relationship's going for a little bit. If you you feel like you have a loss of identity, which was my example with money when my guides explained that to me, they told me that I, I had a problem with my identity as it concerns money. And they told me to go look up the symptoms of codependency. They said, you have codependency with money. And it's because you think you have to change your identity in order to have a prop, you know, a significant amount of abundance. Go look up codependency. I looked it up where it is, right there. Losing your identity, a loss of identity. Pretty amazing. So if you are losing your identity, if you're losing your ability to, to be who you really are, to make your choices, to speak your... A, you know, reality in a relationship, then it's not easy, but you got to hold steadfast. Because again, if you are in a relationship with a narcissist, when they are in their toxic reaction, then it is akin to a child throwing a fit. And that's hard. It's hard to withstand a child throwing a fit. <laughs> I had a relationship in my 20s with someone who was a ooh, powerful narcissist. And he would have these fits start. And it was just like, you know when a child is throwing a tantrum and it is just so loud and powerful and exhausting and you're just like, it's like a, a thunderstorm coming and it's coming toward you or it's like a freight train. And honestly, it's like, you know, his narcissistic tantrums, it, it, they felt like they were coming onto him in the same way that depression comes onto people who have depressive disorder. And in that sense, if I compare it to that, I have a you know, even more compassion, which I should have compassion anyway. But it does feel like it's out of his management, out of his control in the way that a depressive disorder feels out of control too. And maybe it is because that if it's disordered, then that means that there's a chemical component. And so maybe this person that I was with in my 20s had that to accompany his, um, you know, personality in, uh, um, issues. At any rate, if you're losing your identity, you got to you know, get into your spiritual personal practice. You gotta fortify yourself and you gotta realize that setting boundaries are loving for others. That's a big one, y'all. Boundaries. And I gotta tell you, when the when the empathic nature is malfunctioning and having poor boundaries, that's a that's a bad party for everyone. That becomes a cluster F. A clusterfuck, I said it. It becomes a clusterfuck when we have poor boundaries because we are we, we just mess things up for everyone, not just ourselves. So boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Boundaries are loving for others. They tell others how to love you. And they also tell others, they give them the mirror. If you are empathic, one of your jobs is to be a mirror, an amplification 
in, in order to positively contribute to the field. And so boundaries are basically like setting up that mirror. And that is a helpful thing for us all. All right, everyone. Like I said, I wanted to conclude with the story of Narcissus and Echo. Echo is actually the other person in the story. Many of us may know Narcissus to be the one who fell in love with his own reflection and perished because of it, but there is actually another person in the story, and her name is Echo. The Story of Echo and Narcissus When Zeus came to the mountains, the wood nymphs rushed to embrace the jovial god. They played with him in icy waterfalls and laughed with him in lush green glades. Zeus's wife, Hera, was very jealous, and often she searched the mountainside, trying to catch her husband with the nymphs. But whenever Hera came close to finding Zeus, a charming nymph named Echo stepped across her path. Echo chatted with Hera in a lively fashion and did whatever she could to stall the goddess until Zeus and the other nymphs had escaped. Eventually, Hera discovered that Echo had been tricking her, and she flew into a rage. Your tongue has made a fool of me, she shouted at Echo. Henceforth, your voice will be more brief, my dear. You will always have the last word, but never the first. From that day on, poor Echo could only repeat the last words of what others said. One day, Echo spied a golden-haired youth hunting deer in the woods. The boy's name was Narcissus, and he was the most beautiful young man in the forest. All who looked upon Narcissus fell in love with him immediately, but he would have nothing to do with anyone, for he was very conceited. When Echo first laid eyes upon Narcissus, her heart burned like the flame of a torch. She secretly followed him through the woods, loving him more with each step. She got closer and closer until finally Narcissus heard the leaves rustling. He whirled around and cried out, Who's here? From behind a tree, Echo repeated his last word, Here! Narcissus looked about in wonder, Who are you? Come to me, he said. Narcissus searched the woods but could not find the nymph. Stop hiding! Let us meet, he shouted. Let us meet, Echo cried. Then she stepped from behind the tree and rushed to embrace Narcissus. But the youth panicked when the nymph flung her arms around his neck. He pushed her away and shouted, Leave me alone! I'd rather die than let you love me. Love me! was all poor Echo could also say as she watched Narcissus run from her through the woods. Love me! Love me! Love me! Humiliated and filled with sorrow, Echo wandered the mountains until she found a lonely cave to live in. Meanwhile, Narcissus hunted the woods, tending only to himself, until one day he discovered a hidden pool of water. The pool had a silvery smooth surface. No shepherds ever disturbed its waters. No goats or cattle, no birds or fallen leaves. Only the sun danced upon the still pond. Tired from hunting and eager to quench his thirst, Narcissus lay upon his stomach and leaned over the water. But when he looked at the glassy surface, he saw someone staring back at him. 
Narcissus was spellbound. Gazing up at him from the pool were eyes like twin stars, framed by hair as golden as Apollo's cheeks and as smooth as ivory. But when he leaned down and tried to kiss the perfect lips, he kissed only spring water. When he reached out and tried to embrace this vision of beauty, he found no one there. What love could be more cruel than this, he cried. When my lips kissed the beloved, they touch only water. When I reach for my beloved, I hold only water. Narcissus began to weep. When he wiped away his tears, the person in the water also wiped away tears. Oh no, sobbed Narcissus, I see the truth now. It is myself I weep for. I yearn for my own reflection. As Narcissus cried harder, the tears broke the glassy surface of the pool and caused his reflection to disappear. Come back. Where did you go? The youth cried. I love you so much. At least stay and let me look upon you. Day after day, Narcissus stared at the water, in love with his own reflection. He began to waste away from grief until one sad morning he felt himself dying. Goodbye, my love, he shouted to his reflection. Goodbye, my love, Echo cried to Narcissus from her cave deep in the woods. Then Narcissus took his last breath. After he died, the water nymphs and wood nymphs searched for his body, but all they found was a magnificently beautiful flower beside the hidden pool where the youth had once yearned for his own reflection. The flower had white petals and a yellow center, and from that time on, it was called Narcissus. And alas, poor Echo, desolate after Narcissus' death, did not eat or sleep. As she lay forlornly in her cave, all her beauty faded away, and she became very thin until her voice was all that was left. Thereafter, the lonely voice of Echo was heard in the mountains, repeating the last words anyone said. Thanks for tuning in. I love you, whoever you are. As promised, what is coming up in the Mystic Arts Academy in August and September of 2021? On Sunday, August 22nd at 2.30 p.m. Pacific, we have a workshop on the diamond, white flame, and crystalline elements. This is an installment in the series on the holy flames and crystalline elements. This healing modality, this elemental empowerment system, this workshop will activate in the students the holy diamond, white flame, and the diamond crystalline elements, as they are called by Archangel Gabriel, the potency elements. And then, on Sunday, September 12th at also 2.30 p.m. Pacific, we have the Ascended Alchemy Modern Merlinian Magic Workshop. In this workshop, we will dive deep into modern-day light magic, wizardry, and witchery. Ancient Ascended Alchemists step forward to help us align to our individuated and collective calling. Check out these and more workshops in the Mystic Arts Academy. Subscribe to join all of the workshops and meditations or drop in for a workshop. Check the link in the description.